This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. My son had a drumming performance, which I kind of forgot about uh, because it came on the same day as my fantasy football draft. So that was at uh, 7.30. And then the draft started at 8. So I had the, the, the ESPN app on my phone. I'm like, am I going to have to draft from the drumming performance? But no, I was able to get out of there quickly enough, get home, you know, say goodbye to everybody that was with us and get downstairs into the basement quickly, get the computer logged on. And I got to be honest with you, I, I, I hate this guy generally, but I'm going to be this guy. I like my team. Don't you love that guy? You, you do your fantasy draft, you get done with it, and then, you know, I really like my team this year. Of course you like your team. You pick the team. Why wouldn't you like the team? I usually hate my team even before the thing starts. But of course you like your team. You pick the team. Who, who else would you have to blame but you? Unless you have, you know, multiple personalities or something, or the, 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 uh, the internet goes out. I actually did a fa- – my wife knew what she was in for right away. I had a fantasy draft during my rehearsal dinner before we got married. So she knew what she was in for right away. She's like, do you have to do this now? I'm like, sweetie, this is what it is. What do you, I, what do you want me to tell you? I'm not the commissioner. I, I didn't set the time. I only, I'm only in power of so many things. This is not one of them. I hate to break it to you, but this is, this, is, this is essential. Like the rehearsal dinner, we could do, you know, all these people, we'll see them tomorrow. It's not a big deal. This, this is important. I can't push this back. Season's starting in a couple of weeks, sweetie. Big year. And I like my team. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Um, before we get into uh, the Knicks stuff, I, I mean, you, you see these reports about preseason, and I get it. I get it. I understand. I love football. I can't wait for the season to be back. But we all have to keep things in mind. And the most important thing is, every outside of injuries, everything that happens in the preseason that we talk about is worthless. It's all meaningless. It's all meaning. And you know how it is meaningless? Perfect example. Daniel Jones has looked very good so far in the preseason, right? He's looked pretty good. And, and he apparently looked good in practice today against the Jets. Jets defense has a way of doing that to people. What will happen week one of the season? The Giants go out there against the Titans and Daniel Jones throws for 125 yards and gets picked off three times. Will anybody anywhere at any point say to themselves, but wait a sec, I thought he had such a good preseason. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. Nobody will call up this station or any other and bring up the fact, but wait a second, Daniel Jones had a great preseason. Preseason is just something we're doing to pass the time. It's spring training in baseball. There's not a single, at least in baseball, sometimes people will carry over their, their big spring training. Not often, more times than not, if you have a huge spring training, you're going to have a terrible year. Kyle Higashioka, every day this year in spring training, he was hitting a home run. Has not necessarily been the case during the regular season. So the NFL preseason is absolutely meaningless. So it just is strange to me that it seems like the Jets still are planning on having Joe Flacco play with the starters in their final preseason game of of this year when they get set to face off against the Giants. just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me, especially when you're already down one quarterback. Does that make, I mean, does it make sense to anybody? Like, do we really think that Joe Flacco at the age of 37 
is he's he's de- he's desperately rusty, right? Like he's practicing now here for the last couple of weeks as the number one starter since Zach Wilson went down. But that extra, what is it, two or three series that he'll play in the preseason finale, you know what? I'm good to go now. Now I'm I'm all warmed up. I'm all warmed up and ready to go for the start of the season. Either you're ready or you're not. Either you're ready to go or you're not. I just don't think that, you know, we see all these injuries during the preseason and especially the quarterbacks when you're already down one, just does not seem like the risk is worth the uh, the reward. But uh, also, I forgot to mention the um, the Denzel Mims thing that he has requested a trade from the Jets. Um, I ho- I'm actually hopeful that that does take place because there is a section of the Jets fan base that will never in their lives give up on Denzel Mims. They will. Oh, they it was almost like when he got drafted and they played the highlights of him in college that the, 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 the sexy music started playing and they fell in love. They envision, and, and look, I can understand it. You watch, you look at his measurables, you look at the talent that he has, there's a reason to fall in love. You thought for sure this guy, no way, this guy is not going to land as a, as a really good player. He's going to be a fixture. For this Jets team, for a very look at his size, look at his speed, look at the catches he's making on tape. But it's not happened. It has never really happened. And he's had plenty of opportunities. Countless opportunities. He had more opportunities last year when it was already clear that the Jets were moving on. And every time he would get into a game, you know, it's one thing in the NFL to kind of fall down the 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 um the depth chart, and and try to make your way back up for a new regime when you're looking for opportunities and there are not any opportunities for you're not getting any opportunities. He got opportunities last year, and when he did, it, it was always something, right? He was lined up in the wrong spot. There was a penalty here or there. And look, the Jets have told you everything you need to know. And, and, and I've tried to make this point to, to that section of the Jet fan base who still thinks that Denzel Mims is going to turn out to be something. He's had countless opportunities. They went out last year. They drafted Elijah Moore, who has already, in one year, showed you more than Denzel Mims has ever shown you. They go out this year. They get uh, they get kid Garrett Wilson, who looks like he's going to be a player. We'll see. Jury's still out, obviously. They like Berrios. They re-signed him. They uh, they got uh, the the Corey Davis. They still have. So it's it, it's not going to work for Denzel Mims here. Maybe it will work somewhere else. And that will be a real – if it does turn out that he goes someplace else and, um, and, and catches on and, and all of a sudden looks like the player that, that got drafted in the second round, well, then that will be kind of an indictment on the Jets. But more times than not, these guys that you're like, oh, there's no way he can miss, and then they miss with one team, they very rarely go someplace else. And if there's another team that thinks that Denzel, Denzel Mims can do that, uh, I would think – it would probably be a, a pretty cheap price to be able to go and, and, and get him. I'm pretty sure that the Jets are not going to be looking for some significant draft capital back for Denzel Mims, who I think has 31 uh, catches in his career in 20 NFL games. It happens sometimes. You see these guys at draft night, and you see these guys in college, you're like, man, this guy's going to be a superstar. This guy's, this guy's going to be a big-time player, big-time weapon. 
And it just never it never catches on. And, and uh, Denzel Mims certainly is in that category. Jets have had a lot of guys in the second round that it's just never worked out with. Uh, but the, look, this regime has told you what they think of Denzel Mims. They gave him some opportunities last year. Didn't work out. It's not going to work out here. So I, I would think that before too long, he will, uh, I would get, I would think that it's probably just going to get cut at some point, right? Like unless there's some team that's willing to give up something, a seventh round pick for him. Uh, you would think that eventually that uh, he will have to go find another team uh, on his own. All right. So speaking of other teams, at this, remember the Seinfeld episode where Elaine brought up, um, we should just nuke the rainforest just so we can uh, remove it as a topic of conversation. I'm not to that level yet with the Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks and the trade reports and the trade rumors and all this type of stuff. But I'm pretty close. Like, at this point, I'm kind of over it. It's just like, you know, whatever's going to happen, just tell me what's going to happen. Now, I don't want the Knicks to rush things. I'm, I'm okay with that because I don't think the Knicks need to make this trade. But we've been talking about this for a while now, and nothing really significant has happened. But there's these reports there every single day about this player might be involved, that player might be involved. And, you know, I kind of laid out last night, it's not about the players. Um, I, I would find it very hard to believe that there are that many players on the Knicks roster that the Jazz are saying to themselves, well, that, guy, that guy's got to be part of the deal. The Jazz and Danny Ainge, you know his MO. You know what his reputation is. It is going to be a guy who wants draft picks. Now, maybe, he, maybe uh, Grimes is a player he likes or maybe Toppin is a player he likes, but for the most part, the, the players are not going to be as valuable to him as the amount of picks that he can get back. And if you told him, well, take that player out and we'll give you another pick, I'm pretty sure that Danny Ainge would rather have the picks every single time. But, you know, there's, there's different parts of this that bother me. One of which has come up here over the last week or so is that the Knicks would be willing to uh, give up R.J. Barrett as part of the deal, right? You've heard this. Because Tom Thibodeau is not in love with R.J. Barrett. If that's true, I would love to have any... That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because R.J. Barrett is like the prototypical player that you would think Tom Thibodeau would love. He's a hard worker. He's always trying to improve his game. He's getting better every single year. He's not... He's not some shrinking violet who's going to have a problem with being coached in a, in a, in a hard fashion or, or being yelled at or anything like that. I mean, if that's true, that Tom Thibodeau, I, I, I would, A, love to see some evidence of that. Like where, where you would think over the course of the long season, you would see something somewhere where it was like, wow, Tom Thibodeau really is down on R.J. Barrett. That has never, I don't think, has ever been the case. And the other part of it is it wouldn't make sense to it anyway. Like that would... If you could have Tom Thibodeau draw up a player that he would love, you would think that R.J. Barrett would be that guy, a guy who's always working hard, who's trying to get better in his game every single season. He might not be a superstar per se, but is willing to be coached and all those type of things. So that doesn't make any sense at all. And it kind of feels like to me, and certainly you can have your opinion at 1-800-919-ESPN, it almost feels like at this point, like the name R.J. Barrett is getting floated as part of the deal so much that when he's not included in the deal, the Knicks camp can say, well, look, we kept R.J. Barrett. Yes, sure, we gave up six first-round picks. Sure, we gave up Grimes. 
But everybody said if there was one player that would be a deal breaker, we can't give up R.J. Barrett, and we didn't give up R.J. Barrett. So I think that this is all a smokescreen about R.J. Barrett. I don't think the Knicks uh, will give him up. I don't think the Utah Jazz really have all that interest in R.J. Barrett to begin with. And it just feels like a way to kind of fill the content hole for all people who are looking to have the latest about Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks when nothing really is happening right now. There's no, like, what's the pressure for the Knicks to make a deal? Because it does feel like that when you bring up pressure to make a deal, it seems like everybody's like, well, the Knicks have the pressure to make the deal. I'm not so sure about that. The Jazz, to me, have the pressure to make the deal because they're the one with the asset. They kind of have to move the asset. Even though Donovan Mitchell has not requested a trade, at least publicly, that we know of, what sense does it make for a Utah Jazz team that is tanking and is looking to get as high up in the draft next year with as many draft picks as they can get? What sense does it have to have Donovan Mitchell on a team that's going absolutely no place to play. If anything, he might screw up the plan. They might win five more games than they would have ordinarily because Donovan Mitchell, even with a bunch of scrubs, is that much better than what they would have without Donovan Mitchell. So I think the pressure is on them as much as it is on the Knicks. Sure, if the Knicks don't land Donovan Mitchell, that will be, oh, see, the Knicks screwed it up again. Here's another guy. Here's another guy who could, they could have gotten. They didn't want to make the deal. How could the Knicks not have gotten? They would be so much better with Donovan. You know all the stories. The verified Nick haters would be out in force. Of course, the verified Nick haters, if the Knicks do make the deal for Donovan Mitchell, they'll have the same opinion. What are the Knicks doing? But it'll just be for a different reason. How could they give up all those draft picks? How can they give up Grimes? This is the mellow deal all over again. So to me, the pressure is on the, the Jazz as well as it is on the Knicks. Because if the Knicks don't, the Knicks have improved this offseason. I don't know that it's enough to get into the playoffs. And certainly it does feel like Donovan Mitchell eventually will wind up with the Knicks at some point. But I don't think that it has to be the type of thing where they just say, throw caution to the wind, throw every draft pick they have from now until kingdom come just to get a deal done. Whereas for the Jazz, I do think that there's more pressure on them because, you know, like you, you want to start training camp with Donovan Mitchell still there. How many days in a row do you think Donovan Mitchell will have to answer questions about his future? It'll be every single day until he is traded somewhere. And their, their new coach, I think uh, the, kid, the guy Will Hardy is like 30 years old. That's a nice spot to put your new head coach in. <laughs> every single day he's going to have to answer questions about Donovan Mitchell, what's the future of the team, every single day. So for all the talk about pressure being on the Knicks, I think there's just as much pressure on the Utah Jazz. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number coming up. We will uh, check in on the Yankee game out in Oakland, which continues to fly on by. We'll hear from Buck Showalter, maybe some of the Met particulars after their 3-1 win against the Rockies over at City Field. Still lots to do. It's ESPN New York tonight, 98.7 FM, and the all-new ESPN New York app. Yes, it's time to go around the ballparks here on ESPN New York tonight. 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Yankees out in Oakland continue to roll. They announced the attendance. If uh, Jacob, if I gave you an attendance out in Oakland, do you know what the attendance is? No, no, no. I'm asking you. Don't find out. I'm going to question you. 
Do I know? Yeah, off the top. I didn't know if you were like on Twitter and you saw it tweeted out. No, I did if not see- I said that the attendance in Oakland was 9,000 fans, would you say higher or lower? Like, let's do a little card sharks. I would say it is a little lower. A little lower than 9,000. I would have thought so too. But no, apparently it is uh, higher. It's over 10,000, like 10,000, uh, what did I see? I saw someplace, 10,200? Wow. I, I just wonder where they all are. I was about to say, I, I wouldn't even, I would, if I would have said over, I wouldn't think it was over 10,000. I would thought maybe like 200 more people. That's about it. Yeah, it do- doesn't seem like that's, uh, that's an accurate reading. I don't know if they're using uh, StatCast to uh to count the heads i feel like somebody i feel like somebody has got to uh count the eight, t- 10,876 according to eric boland of newsday now is that their <laughs> i don't know if that's today's attendance or the whole weekend's the attendance. whole week it does feel like it's the whole week it does not see like does that count the the it seems like there's more photographers in that photographers well and there are people in the stand i mean it's just giant swaths of the stadium where there's nobody in them Seems a little high. Yeah, it is. Seems a little high. All right, let's go back to City Field, people, because the Mets get a nice little tidy 3-1 win against the Nash uh, against the Nationals against the Rockies. Jacob Degrom on the mound against the Rockies, and they say you can't predict baseball, and that's true generally, but sometimes you can. And when Jacob Degrom is facing the worst road team in baseball, who are now 18 and 40 on the year, it played out exactly as you might expect. So DeGrom tonight, he goes six innings, gives up the one run. He strikes out nine, 87 pitches, 62 for strikes. And he was asked after the game, how close to 100% are you? Where do you feel you're at right now just in terms of being at 100%? How close to you or to that are you right now? Yeah, I feel good. Um, you know, we went a little bit above the one in Atlanta and felt good after that. So um, I think that was the real test. And then... Uh, what did I end with tonight? 87. So I think, you know, probably the next one, it'll be let me go however long, um, you know, 100 plus. All right. So there's Jacob DeGrom. DeGrom again was asked after the game, is there a point where you wanted to get to a normal routine? We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, you know, how I felt and, you know, like I said, after I went to um, 95 in Atlanta, I felt completely fine. So, um, you know, I think we're checking off all the boxes and it's leaning in that direction it's just you know how it's scheduled and you know how we have off days you got to work with you got five guys who are throwing the ball very well so you know it's it's kind of just staying in the uh, routine right now and of what we're the hand we're dealt so it, we'll just see whenever that time comes uh you know how many days in between when we throw yeah, and look, that's the nice thing about having the schedule that they have. And, and one of the reasons why you'd like to have a little bit of a bigger lead, because then if you have a bigger lead, you can do whatever you want. You still have to have, you know, keep focused. Goal number one has to be keeping Jacob DeGrom healthy, but not far behind is making sure you win the division. Like, you don't want to be playing an extra playoff round based on the fact that you're, you know, toying around with the rotation and, and trying to get make sure he's right and and and. and and focusing so much on when can he start, we got to give him an extra day. The main goal still has to be winning the division, but uh, the, the fact that you're facing so many, you know, sub-500 teams here the rest of the way, that does give you a little leeway that you can move DeGrom around to make sure that you feel like you're maximizing the potential to keep him not only healthy, but geared up 
so that his best comes in October. Buck Showalter, after the game, asked, is there a time where DeGrom can expect to throw 100 pitches? You know, a guy like Jake, I wouldn't preclude anything like that happening. It's not a pure pitch count. It's kind of, you know, your eye test, you know, kind of watching, you know, seeing him. And, um, you know, I lean a lot on him, number one, number two, number two with Jeremy, who has a lot more familiarity with him than I do. And, you know, whether it be the trainers or anybody, but it's about it, you know, once you get out there between the lines, it's about pitching and getting people out. All the other stuff that's going on in St. Lucie and all the testing we do with all our pitchers and all that stuff, it's about competing out there. And if it passes the eye test, and you know, he continues to pitch and getting input from him. All right, so there's Buck Showalter there. Then he was asked after the game about Pete Alonzo and how Pete gets frustrated when he is not able to come through, obviously, snapping the bat after that uh, frustrating performance against the Yankees. Here's Buck Showalter. No, Pete, uh, he spoiled us at such a high level that when he has a period where he's not doing the things that uh, we know he's capable of, you know, he takes on the microscope, and but he wants to do. He feels awful when he doesn't always deliver, and it's hard to do. So I think everybody felt good for him tonight because you know, I know how much it means to him to contribute every night. Yeah, look, the Mets have, uh, you know, hit a little bit of uh, a doldrum here with some of the offensive performances and struggled here against the Yankees in that second game, struggled tonight to come through with the uh, runners in scoring position. And uh, just something to kind of keep an eye on, right? Obviously, the pitching, as long as DeGrom is healthy and Scherzer is healthy and, and, and Bassett's good to go and, and you obviously have Taiwan Walker back, that's as about as set as stone as long as health is, is not an issue as you can have. The bullpen, there's always going to be little things there as you try to get, you know, ready to go for October. But the uh, the offense for the Mets is one, It's it, I mentioned it last night, it's it's hysterical to me when the Yankees have a game where they go two for ten with runners in scoring position, it'll immediately get blamed on the process. Well, you know, of course they're going to go two. They're so based on home runs and so much home run or bust that they're going to have these games, and that can't work. It won't work in October. Meanwhile, most of the good teams – Almost all of the good teams have similar approaches to the Yankees. They're all playing for the home runs. The top eight teams in baseball in home runs are all going to be playoff teams this year. The real outlier is the Mets. They're about midway. They're about the middle of the pack. They're about 15th in terms of power this year. Uh, but when the Mets don't come through with the big hit, there's no real talk about it. It's just, ah, they, they just didn't hit tonight. Oh, well, no problem with the process at all. But I'll keep an eye on it. Okay, I, I'm the one who will focus my eye on it and scream it from the hilltops, even though nobody, nobody's jumping on board. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, and that's uh, going to be around the ballparks tonight with the Mets. Yankees still taking on the A's out in Oakland, and this one is uh, flying. <laughs> They're in the fourth inning already? Wow, this one's really coming along. Yankees now leading at 10 nothing uh, against the A's as uh, the offense certainly has showed up with Giancarlo Stanton back in the lineup tonight, fresh off the IL. He is the DH, and the Yankees putting up runs. This is what they have been looking for here for the last couple of weeks. And Stanton's bat back in the lineup. You know, it's, it's about getting some guys healthy. And hopefully the rotation and the bullpen, they're going to be healthy as well. Now with Stanton back, he has uh, three ribbies tonight. Just about everybody has a ribby tonight. And it's uh, so many runs, not even Jamison Tyone is going to make it scary tonight. So that's good. That's always good. Anytime you can have a nice, easy win to uh, start a road trip. And hopefully the Yankees are going to cash in here out in Oakland 
uh, over the course of this weekend. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. It is Gordon Damer. It is ESPN New York Tonight, 98.7 FM, and the all-new ESPN New York app. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York Tonight. So the Yankees are right now leading the A's 10 nothing. It's top of the fifth out there. But, you know, there was one other thing that I meant to mention with the Nestor Cortez injury, that as soon as that injury came up and it was announced that he's going to be on the uh, IL, obviously a lot of people are going to immediately point to the trade for Jordan Montgomery, the deal that the uh, Yankees sent him to uh, the Cardinals for Harrison Bader. Bader's not played at all yet. Doesn't seem like he's going to be back uh, really anytime soon. There's not really been any updates that he's moving in the right direction. So anytime you trade for a player who has not played for you at all, and the guy you trade away has been basically the best pitcher in baseball in that time since the trade, right? He's made four starts. His ERA is like half a run a game. There's going to be a lot of criticism like, what are you doing? I just would like to point out again, for everyone who was going to crush the Yankees for trading away Jordan Montgomery, it's not like they've missed Jordan Montgomery. In the four starts that Jordan Montgomery would have made for the Yankees, Domingo Herman has made those four starts, and he has given up five runs in 21 innings, so he's pitched to an ERA of 2.14. That's not too bad. Now, granted, I'll grant you that what Jordan Montgomery has done is better, right? He's also pitched against the Cubs, the Rockies, the Yankees, and one other team. While the Yankees were going through this offensive doldrums that probably made them the worst of the four teams that he pitched against. So good for Jordan Montgomery. I just don't think that you can look at, say, oh, well, this guy did this here, so that means that he would have done that year. I will grant you that was a, tr- a weird trade at the time, and it was all, I, I brought it up with Larry when the trade was made. It's almost like you're begging for an injury, and sure enough, look at that. You got an injury. But it has always felt like at the time that there was a second part of this where the Yankees were going to make a trade for a different starting pitcher and replace Montgomery with somebody else, and then that part of it kind of fell through. John Heyman of uh, the New York Post has a story about how the Yankees came close to uh, making a deal with the Marlins for Pablo Lopez. Glaber Torres' name was um, what would have, the Yankees would have been giving up there. And... Um, that kind of meshes because I know uh, Jack Curry of the Yes Network uh, at the trade deadline, before the trade deadline was up, he had mentioned that there were a lot of talks about Glaber Torres, that Glaber Torres' name had been mentioned. Uh, and, of course, nothing ended up turning out there. But, I mean, Glaber Torres has – maybe that's part of it, that he knew that he was going to get traded because he has regressed to such a level. They got to get him started and going again. He just came up with a base hit a little while ago. So uh, when you're talking about the Yankee offense and, and pieces that need to get going, Ben Attendi, he's, he's come through. He's starting to really round into form and be the best version of what you hope he can be in terms of uh, batting high up in the order, getting on base, coming through with some clutch hits, putting the bat on the ball. But Glaber Torres is another one that you're kind of counting on. You know, there, there's certain guys that you that sh- have struggled all season. Josh Donaldson, I think at this point, it's hard to really expect much from him offensively because he's just been that bad. Obviously, Aaron Hicks has been that bad for such a long period of time. I don't know how anybody could expect anything different. Same thing with when Marlon Gonzalez gets in there every once in a while. 
you know, certain guys that you're not really expecting much out of. Benintendi is a guy you're expecting something out of, and Glaber Torres should be one of the guys that you're getting something out of offensively. Like we talk about the Yankees having this uh, this 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 lineup that turns over. Well, you can't have two or three guys at the bottom of the order that are automatic outs. And and since the trade deadline over the last month or so, Glaber Torres has been basically an automatic out, and he has really kind of regressed to where he was last year. You know, last year he had the automatic excuse of you know change positions, never really got his feet under him, and. He's not a shortstop, and the defense was impacting his offense. What's the excuse now? He got off to a better start this year. The numbers still weren't where they were a couple of years ago, and I'm not exactly sure what has changed for Glaber Torres in that span. He had the, the built-in excuse of 2020, hey, it's a weird year. He got hurt, came back, was never the same. Okay, fine, but we know who Glaber Torres is. Then last year had a, a similar year. In fact, in some ways, last year was actually worse. So when he got off to a better start this year, you thought, okay, all right, fine. He's back at second base. He's back in his groove. He's getting back to the player he was in year one and year two. And it's very strange for a guy to come up to the majors, to be as hyped up as Glaber Torres was, and to perform at the age of 21-22, and then to and be an all-star and all the good stuff, slugging 500 and hitting home runs and hitting doubles and everything else, and then fall into this rut where it lasts for three years. I mean, at what point are we going to get some, some of the old Labor Torres again? Because he's got to get going. I mean, we're too far into this season now, and at least they have, you know, it's, it's one or the other. I said I don't really expect much out of Donaldson at this point, but either Donaldson or Glaber has got to perform in October. Like, you can move LeMahieu, either he can play second or he can play third. He can't play both. He can't play both. So... Uh, you'd like to think that Glaber Torres will get going again at some point. Maybe this series out in Oakland. It seems like everybody's getting going right now. So hopefully that's a good sign uh, for things to come for, for Glaber. But um, it has been glaring just how bad he has been. At a time where that was one of the guys, you know, standing out of the lineup, that's one of the guys you expect to step up. He's, again, I, he, he was one of the bright young stars of the game. It's not like he's a guy that came out of nowhere and had like a fluky year. He had, The first two years he had, he was – I mean, we were talking about him being the face of the Yankees. This is the, this is the guy you sign long-term. Not, not Aaron Judge. This is the guy you sign long-term because he's, he's performing at this age. You know, guys who come up and are performing at, at the age of 20 and 21, 22, and are already stars, those are guys who project long-term as being, you know, excellent players. And in the second half of the year so far, Glaber 190, 222, 314. Oof, those are, I mean, on base of 222 and a slugging of 314. An OPS of 536. That is a minor league player, and uh, he should not be performing at that level. I mean, obviously, he is a better player than that. Now, maybe years one and year two, that was, uh, it's uh, maybe uh, that, that's the ceiling, right? He'll never reach those, those numbers quite again. But you can't be, I mean, you can't have a second half of the season where we're 30, 35 games in and, and you're hitting like this on this consistent of a basis. He has seemed lost for a good part of this uh, season now. And it's starting to get a little concerning because this is the guy that you saw last year and the guy you saw in 2020. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.